All views and opinions in this podcast are not meant to offend or hurt the sentiments of including but not limited to any person living or dead, religion or ethnic group, community or country. Indian food is so much more than dal, butter chicken or samosa. The average Indian isn't even remotely aware of the tremendous culinary diversity the country has to offer. If the average Indian isn't aware, the world surely hasn't a clue. And on this podcast, we're talking about all sorts of interesting regional Indian cuisines that just don't get the love they deserve. My name is Roxanne Bambot and this is Beyond Butter Chicken. For most people in Mumbai, if you think of Bori food, there's one name that instantly comes to mind. The Bori Kitchen. My guest for today is the genius behind the brand and someone who has transformed the way people look at Bori food. From quitting his lucrative job at Google and starting his catering business from home to now expanding his enterprise and adding best-selling author to his list of achievements, Munaf Kapadia is the perfect person to walk me through the nuances of this cuisine. Munaf, it's fantastic to have you on this show. Welcome to Beyond Butter Chicken. Thanks for having me. So Munaf, let's start from the very beginning. I know you. I know what you've been doing in Mumbai with your brand. Uh, you and your mom, but you're really the face of the Bori Kitchen. Um, so let's start with a simple question for those who are unfamiliar. Who are the Boris and what is this community about? So the Dawdi Boda community is a small community within Islam. So there are Shias and Sunnis. So we come under the Shia sect. The community actually originated from Yemen very, very long ago. And from Yemen, we moved to Gujarat and then from Gujarat, we migrated all over. So you would find a majority of Boris in, say, Gujarat or in Maharashtra in India or yes. all over? So, for example, uh, my family, our original surname was Rajkotwala because mm-hmm. we actually came from Rajkot. My okay. grandfather came from yes. Rajkot. So okay. most Boris are kind of concentrated in, in Gujarat or in Maharashtra. Fantastic. And I know this because I have a couple of Bori friends as well. And having been born and brought up in Mumbai, you see it. I see the Bori community doing a lot of philanthropy work, which I really, it really resonates with me. And I think one of the things that I remember the most from my childhood, if you live down south in Mumbai, is the Saifi Hospital. It used to be the small little, almost dilapidated building that now has this fine, glorious stop-notch hospital. So I see, I know, I know that the community does a lot of philanthropy work as well. Is that something? something that is sort of ingrained in you or is that something that that you're taught with or does that translate to the community as a whole or is it only just some bodies who do that i'll answer that question by giving an example of, of something that i think the community does really well uh, which is the tiffin service right and okay. something I've, I've always been fascinated with so one of the like it's it's, it's very strange very few people know this but the largest food delivery, subscription service in the country, or maybe even in the world. It's not some private for-profit, you know, different service. It's mm-hmm. it's the Bodhi community. Aware, really? uh, yeah. So they run these central kitchens across the country and across the world. So most mosques have a connected kitchen or in the case of Bombay, we even have independent kitchens. Like if mm-hmm. you go to uh, Nagpara, yeah. uh, there's Jacob Sassoon, the school. Behind that school, you would never guess. There's this beautiful central kitchen. Uh, I didn't know that. And is this uh, only for the community or is this like a Dabba service? Like you see the Dabba Wala's all over Mumbai. If I got it right, I, I think our previous Sayadna, Sayadna mm-hmm. it was his wish that nobody from the community should ever go hungry. 
That's wonderful. Okay, number one and number two, and I, I don't know if I'm pushing it out here, but I also think that he never wanted you know women to have to cook, mm-hmm. and hence you know the entire time should go in that so, something like that. Something along those that, lines. Yeah, something on those lines. So with that vision, they put in place this behemoth effort. Of, of creating central kitchens across the country, and now I've heard that it's even outside the country, where poor people can get access to that food for free. Anyone, like anyone from the community, I don't know if it's available to people outside the community, but anyone from the community can avail of it at a nominal subscription fee. That's so wonderful. Idea, yeah. So the idea is you kind of pay how much you can afford to pay, mm-hmm. and that subsidizes food for other people who can't afford to pay, and yes. and it's very simple, wholesome food that's available every single day. That's wonderful. I didn't know that, and I'm so glad I brought this up because this is something new that I've learned. And a great segue to the next question really is, what is Bori Food all about? Because my understanding is so limited. Like I know, I know of the thal, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and I know a few dishes like maybe samosa because yeah. I'm a big fan of that. But what would you say? How would you describe Bori cuisine to someone who's never eaten a meal or doesn't know, you know, flavor ingredients? Kinds of dishes, things like that. Going back to my first answer, we came from Yemen, so our mm-hmm. food inherently is Middle Eastern. Okay. Uh, then uh, it is very heavily influenced by Gujarat and Gujarati food. Of course. Uh, so, so we have some remarkable uh, additions like a mutton undiu. A mutton undiu. That's right. Okay, I didn't know that. So for those who aren't familiar, undiu is a popular um, winter dish that's found in Gujarat, and it is strictly vegetarian. So you can see my surprise that I'm because I've never heard of a mutton undiu. But please tell me more. So similarly, we have a lot of amazing food like that, which which kind of appeals to Middle Eastern and Gujarati palates. Okay. You know, whether it's a dum biryani, which is super popular, you know, mm-hmm. so bodies make a biryani in a particular way where we uh, do it on a dum style and then yeah. We follow the kacha meat method, where you know the meat cooks with the mm-hmm. uh, rice because we feel that adds flavor. We make our own variant of halim. Okay. The halim being a very predominantly Muslim dish that consists of various pulses that have been ground together and cooked very slowly with mutton. Aboris make their own equivalent of that called a kuchra. Correct. Uh, yes. It's a lot more milder, and it's served with imli chutney and uh, some uh, ginger and uh, mint leaves. And then, and with uh, naan, of course. And it's delicious. I've had the kitchen, and my mouth is watering with each ingredient yeah, that you keep listing. The food's great. One thing worth mentioning is, again, I guess you could attribute it to our Gujarati origins. We have very good vegetarian food as well, which people okay. would expect. Yeah, that's actually a great question because it's very similar to us with Parsi food as well. You know, the the thought is that it's always meat driven, and I think it's the same for Bori food. Actually, for all Muslim food, that it's that's you know it's good and meat driven. But can you tell me some of the vegetarian dishes? So one of my favorite dishes, which which is a it's called a celebratory dish. So during a birthday or something like that. People, you know, can eat mm-hmm. this dish. It's called a dal chawal palida. So, so you make the rice out of tuar dal, okay, the yellow dal rice. The water that's used to cook the dal is converted into a broth with tomato and drumsticks, mm-hmm. and that turns into what you call a palida. So you have your chawal, you have your palida, and you serve this with roasted dengan bharta and uh, papad. Okay. So these four components kind of four things come together and. Turn into the dal chawal. So this is one vegetarian dish. Do you also do this? That what we like to do is we put meat in all the vegetables, uh, just to make it more slightly more palatable. Or are you a purist and you leave the vegetables alone? Yeah, we we leave it alone because these dishes are their own. 
you know so so a dcp yeah. is by itself so the most hardcore non vegetarian bori will not expect meat in the dal chawal parida because it's it's made in that way yeah uh, similarly we have naril kebabs which are phenomenal so desiccated coconut mashed potato and i think some spring onions you know uh, served with a khajoor chutney so yeah so, so there's a lot of amazing vegetarian food like one of our most popular samosas is a tuar dal samosa So okay. it's just smoked. Yeah, it's a smoked tuar dal samosa. Again, it's it's tuar dal that means smoked with kolsa, with spring onion, served with a fresh mint chutney. Yeah, so it's like a lentil yeah, samosa. Flavored with jeera. Yeah. Fantastic. Let me ask you, what is your earliest childhood memory of uh, this cuisine, really? And did is it something that you wanted to dabble in as a child as well, or is this something that came later? So two questions, really. So my earliest uh, childhood memory. of this cuisine is um, i mean so basically i was born eating this food because my mom who's been making this food like the memories i have of my childhood would revolve around community events so whether it was eating at home on the thal at home where mom just made something or, or it was a winter morning and we woke up to lassan keema belu oh lovely yeah so you could literally smell it when mom would add ghee on the egg so that's when the lassan the garlic the yeah the garlic would you know start making that beautiful aromatic like it just exude and fill, fill up the entire house with that yeah so memories like that and then going to these community events going for weddings or sitting with complete strangers around the thal and then since you're the youngest kid everyone would give you food so it's like a buffet service <laughs> on your in the thal it's spoiled being the child no it 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 has its perks especially during meal time it, it, it's it's both it's both there are pros and there are cons because um, uh, however kind people are around the thal every once in a while uh, you'll be in a thal where it's survival of the fittest uh, <laughs> and uh, Yeah, yeah. The smaller you are, the more difficult it is to get your spoil. I'm sure. So, okay, let's talk about the thals and so much, and that's another great segue to the next question because I wanted to talk in detail. I remember going to a bori wedding for the first time, and I must have been, I mean, quite old, twenty something, and it was something I heard, but I hadn't really seen and experienced. And then I wasn't very sure mm. if I wanted to be a part of this, but then I got a little bit of FOMO because you see everyone participating. Can you describe what a bori thal is and what that experience of community eating is like? What's a bori thal and what is the experience of community eating? So. Imagine or uh, try to visualize six foot diameter steel plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is placed on the ground, but slightly elevated, such that roughly seven people can sit around the thal. So they sit uh, cross-legged. Yeah. So in fact, no. So we don't sit cross-legged. There's there's a particular way in which we sit, which is sometimes, to be honest, very uncomfortable. Like cross-legged is considered uh, disrespectful, or I think it takes up too much space. So you sit in that. Is it vajrasan in yoga? It's sort of vajrasan pose. Is is it vajrasan? Is when you're sitting on both your legs. But I think in the thal, you sit with your legs on the exactly, side. Yeah. Exactly. So not so exactly. Like a, yeah. It's a pseudo vajrasan. It's like a side uh, sit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a side <laughs> sit. And then eventually, actually, when you start eating, you at least I end up pivoting into a cross. Like it, and I don't care what everyone does. Uh, but so imagine that setup, and then you have a topi on your head. Basically, your head should be covered. What is the significance and of that? Like, why do you cover your head whilst eating? I don't want to say anything that might be incorrect, so I will choose. I, I won't answer that. But, but basically, enough. it's out of respect that your head is covered. So whether you know, or you're a woman or you're a man, you always cover your head whenever we enter a mosque, whenever we sit on a correct. Tal, That's true. So on That's and true. so forth. Now, let me try to create the image of what is it like to eat on a tal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once you've 
sat down the thal will be pre-plated with some dishes okay so all the condiments will be there so maybe a khajur chutney maybe a pineapple bundi raita a mango chinda amba halad you know and various other salads could just randomly be adorning the thal in the center there will be something called a namak dani okay it's a container of salt okay so bori is like to start their meal by tasting salt okay uh, we believe that it kind of activates your taste buds it activates your palate it cleanses your palate and instead of adding salt to food just you know become more sensitive to the flavors and and hence you will enjoy your meal more okay. also there are some science behind how it's good i think digestion. so because i've heard this I, if i'm not mistaken i think even in ayurveda they say something to that effect where you just have it's just a pinch of salt uh, exactly. it's not a exactly. spoon or anything just a little taste so, so the youngest person on the thal would be expected to pick up the namakdani with mm-hmm. both his hands and offer salt to everyone and okay. and i like to think that that's also a way for the youngest person to kind of break the ice because you're usually sitting with strangers so this way everyone gets to know who's the youngest who would be the shy, most shy person on the table yeah. uh, that is then followed by what could be a four course five course or seven course meal so it, it would mainly be followed by khara which is savory item like for example smoked mutton keema samosas or chicken rashi cutlets uh, that would be followed by a meetha mm-hmm. which is a sweet dish because bori follows this concept called khara meetha where we like to alternate savory food with sweet food to reset your palate again we believe it's good for digestion but then you know go figure so uh, so fun way to eat right like uh, i don't know you know sometimes people were like you you see these memes online and i read somewhere in one of these food groups they're like anyone have this problem that every time i eat something sweet then i want something spicy and then i eat something sweet and then again i want something spicy so it's almost uh, similar to that way or just we've, i feel like it's just, variety yeah, we've appreciated it we've like made it a best practice <laughs> so we fool ourselves into thinking it's good for us uh, but but the sweet dishes are insane like we have our own i like to call it the bori baklava okay. uh, it's a malai khaja Okay, mm-hmm. it's basically a puff pastry stuffed with a uh, fresh malai, coated generously with sugar syrup. So when you cut into it, it like malai just oozes out. Various sweet dishes. You give a sweet dish, people reset their palate. Then you jump into the main stuff. So the ran and red masala might come out. Okay, which is like a lamb. Um, this is like an elaborate cookout. meal. I have to say, I'm already uh, wondering how you digest all this. You manage, you manage. Then there's the ran. Then after that, there could be something like a chicken roast. you know or kaju mm-hmm. chicken with parathas and and again depending on how elaborate the thal gets like at the bori kitchen we used to have seven courses so we would have two starters two sweet dishes two things in between and then one main course the jaman and the jaman would be a rice item so it would usually be a dum biryani or it would be a pulao okay. or it would be a curry chawal and all of this is accompanied with these condiments and even beverages so like my mom used to make some really good uh, she would make a coconut pulao so naril pani with fresh malai blended inside oh, or yeah. a roast sharbat sabza seeds or, or what we would call the emergency beverage at the end of the meal or jaljira soda so, <laughs> why is it an uh, emergency beverage because of exactly what you thought that you know how do you digest this uh, so uh, this is kind of to help you sort that out so you don't regret the meal an hour later i don't think anyone is going to regret that meal even one hour or two hours later <laughs> i think everyone is ready for battle people um, usually uh, they fall asleep that's the classic symptom of eating but that's the best compliment right i always tell people if it's snooze inducing a meal then that is the best compliment because what more do you want after a great meal so, so it, it happens so often that we came up with a term for it okay we call it bori food coma yeah bft uh, and like literally we've had an incident where somebody so a lot of times people come home and we have chairs for them to sit on but they sit on the ground they just enjoy it like that and then one guy fell asleep by on the, the end floor? of the meal yeah 
house. Yeah. Uh, I, I literally like I don't know if I imagine this, but I I think I remember kicking him and rolling him out of the house. Like, uh, excuse me, yeah. it's time for you to leave. I fed you. I have things to do now. <laughs> I can just imagine that I'm rolling over. But honestly, what greater compliment than that, right? Like that's a absolutely, sign of absolutely. someone who has really enjoyed their meal. So I have a question. We talked about some vegetarian food as well. So do you get a vegetarian thal like without any meat things or is that not typical and the vegetarian food is more what you cook at home? No, no, no. So I've done veg only catering. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so for example, for Rani Mukherjee's birthday uh, at the place, we had done a bunch of thals. One thal was purely vegetarian. Okay. And this was the first time we had actually done a catering where we had taken food out of the house. And it was fantastic because everyone was making fun of the vegetarian. How oh, yeah, sad. Before the meal started. <laughs> so they were telling them that, hey guys, you know, like so sad. Uh, we are going to eat all this amazing non-veg food while you all are stuck with the veg food. And my mom was in the kitchen, okay, at, at Rani's house, at Aditya's and Rani's house. And, and I was in the hall trying to host these guys. And yeah. I told them, listen, please shut up the veg food is phenomenal don't take them seriously and just enjoy your food yeah and i actually told them that you all will like the veg food so much that you will end up uh, the non vegetarians will end up trying to you know eat some of the yeah. veg food and that's exactly what happened <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the smoked dal samosas, the DCP, uh, the naril kebab, or even the way in which my mom uh, works with paneer. All of these dishes come out really well with our bori twist in it. Fantastic. So it's, but it is traditional. It's not something that you just did for them at the request that, oh, we want a veg thal. But uh, say you went to a wedding or something, you were vegetarian, would you be offered a vegetarian thal? Yeah. So in fact, now by practice, because I mean, more and more people outside the community end up coming for weddings. Uh, they actually do a thing. They do a setting. So if you're a vegetarian, you get your own house. Okay. And okay. you get your own food. Yeah. So one of the things that I read somewhere, and I could be wrong, is that um, you start the thal with something meeta or something sweet. I know you mentioned that the namakdani, so you start with a bit of salt, but do you also do this with sweet or you savory first? How do no, you no, do that's that? No, that's right. That's right. So uh, you actually do the namakdani followed by a sodanu. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sodanu is basically 10 grains of rice, which are sweetened with ghee and sugar. It's the same concept. It's like you have some salt to activate your palate. You have some of this uh, Sodanu. Again, like we offer a small prayer mm-hmm. and, and then we have it. It's, it's a way of starting the meal. So it's not necessarily a sweet dish like a dessert. It's just no, a no, it's small not, sample not. of yeah, something sweet yeah. to almost like get your taste buds ready for the party. Again, uh, I don't want to say anything incorrect, but it definitely has some sort of religious significance uh, sure. to have. Yeah, because it's a very standardized dish. Or rice, mm-hmm. the maybe a little bit of mithai in it, stuff like that. It's like it's, it's supposed to be, you know, like how you have a pinch of salt, you have that much of this. Lovely. So I know the body kitchen. I think you guys started what 2014? Yeah. So 2014. December 2014. Yeah, yeah. November December 2014. And it's been a great story. I mean, for those of you who are unfamiliar, this was like the dream story, right? You start a home kitchen and then you just expand and do these amazing things, and you have all these fancy celebrities as your guests and you know everyone encouraging and the feedback is always great and I've eaten your food I don't think I'd come for a thal experience but I ate it at one of your outlets so you know that you've got a good product and everything but I know that I read somewhere that it wasn't all a bed of roses I think we see you know we see a successful business and then you're just like oh my god they have everything going but then the poor guy running the business is like you know all over the place and I know you've got a book coming out because your backing was from Google and you're not the chef you know your mom's doing it and you're sort of like the puppet master almost like you know you're just making it all move together so I just wanted to ask you what has this journey been like and um, has this really been the inspiration for your upcoming book the book is out 
Okay, it's titled How I Quit Google to Sell Samosas, published by HarperCollins, and it's been co-written by my wife Zabia. It's basically my story in these four five years as someone who started this with my mom, and then how somewhere I tried to merge the faith of the business with my own personal professional ambition, and I tried to scale the business to a delivery business model, and we tasted a lot of success. I mean, a lot of struggle. I went through bankruptcy. I went through a lot of failure. We completely destroyed mom's food in the first one year when we. Tried to you know do delivery by getting other boys to make that food. Uh, but after all of that struggle, effort, thanks to a lot of people who came on board and helped us, uh, we actually managed to take it to its peak of uh, in August 2019. We were doing 200 orders per day. That's okay, phenomenal. Of, yeah, out of uh, we had four dark kitchens and one QSR, four delivery kitchens and one QSR at Kamlami. So I mean that's the level we took it to. Uh, but a combination of things: inability to raise a second round of funding, trying to grow too fast because I was chasing scale, I was chasing valuation, I was trying to you know go down that route and the pandemic uh, hit us exactly when it would hurt yeah. uh, everything came together and just made it too difficult and i was like okay enough is enough i quit i can't keep doing this, this is the fifth year while in those five years i got i got a tremendous experience i got phenomenal fame popularity but i didn't really make any money i sacrificed a lot in that regard so i was like now enough is enough and i just got married i got married in march 2020 so when the pandemic hit when the lockdown oh, just hit, that's before when yeah, that's when we just got registered. So I was like, you know, now let's try to figure this out. Let's try to be a little more responsible enough with trying to have fun with this. And I was like, okay, let's quit. Let's shut down the Bodhi Kitchen. Let's look for a job. And I was just about to do that when my team actually came back to me and said that, hey, why are you shutting down? Let's just consolidate. Let's make it profitable again. Let's go back to the drawing board. And that's what we've done today. So today, uh, Tachu, thanks to the team the body kitchen continues to live on in its delivery of we pivoted completely from the swiggy zomato model to a pre-order model yeah i think profitable and i think it's also easier i know um from experience handling it's, it's with- easier it's profitable it's I, I would say it's better food because you're making it slowly and around absolutely uh, you're not trying to do 200 orders per day instead you're trying to do 20 really good orders per day and that's kind of what's happened with the body kitchen and the second very important lesson i learned is i kind of need to be uh, right by the brand mm-hmm. you know so while i have a personal ambition which is to do crazy things and to grow and to scale and to be a leader in, in whatever i do but yeah. maybe that's not necessarily right for the brand so that's kind of what's happened now so i i currently head e-commerce at mcdonald's in india uh, oh. i lead the delivery business yeah okay uh, but parallelly the bori kitchen continues uh, run by my team and by me and is your uh, mom still kind of, is she still cooking or is she just delegating my mom my mom continues to play a role, but not as a cook because okay. the idea is that it needs to be fun for her. So it's, it's very different when people come home, she wants to cook. But if mm-hmm. I'm going to do this through a, you know, a faceless a delivery model, then I can't expect my mother to do that in any way. And it's not required as well. So if someone's listening to this podcast in another country and happens to come to Mumbai and wants to sample the experience, do you think you and mom would still pull one out and entertain at home? Or do you think you're just done with that as you've got bigger things, bigger fish to fry? So the way I see it, I will never do the home dining experience in my house commercially again. It's because of the pandemic. It's unnecessary, right? But the minute I feel a little more comfortable and my parents feel good, we will definitely do it once a month, but not commercially. We will do it more as a by invite only or maybe for charity or something on those lines because the fact is we just love doing it. So that's kind of where it is. But my dream, my, my real dream with the Bori Kitchen is not even what we are currently doing. It is to find a permanent space where we can 
do what we used to do at my house on the weekends every single day where people can walk in they can have this food my parents can participate you know they can play the role they want to play but somehow still retain the homely vibe of the original home dining experience that's that's the dream i i don't know how it will happen when it will happen or do i need to do to make it happen but um, i think you'll figure I, it out i have faith in you judging from everything i've seen in the last so many years and forbes 30 under 30 and now a book and everything i i have full faith this will happen and then when it does you. you let me know done 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 will do Yeah. Okay, so you brought up a very interesting dish that I wanted to talk about which is the bori biryani. I mean nothing nothing in India unites people more than a healthy argument over which is the best biryani, you know? It's always like the Hyderabadi one and uh, something else and then Bombay biryani is like oh my god no and it has to be from Lucknow and all. So what is your take on the bora biryani and can you explain what it's like a little bit? Okay, so the, the most particular thing, the unique the USP of a Bora biryani is the potato. Okay. All right. So it's not the chicken, it's not the butter, it's the potato. So the way we cook it is we cook it with small chunks of potato inside, mm-hmm. which also have been marinated and coated in curd. So when the biryani is done cooking, the potato is infused with flavor. Oh, so if you actually sit on a thal to eat bori biryani and you're sharing it with people, everyone will fight over the potato. They won't fight over the meat. As they should. Um, I think the potatoes actually are. I. to me i feel a biryani is incomplete without potatoes now that's a separate argument in itself because there are many people who think otherwise exactly. but i'm with exactly. you i'm team exactly. potato all exactly. the way like like for example i believe the bengali biryani also has a potato yes they do but but the way uh, we manage to cook it you know mom manages to cook it our ustad manages to cook it is very different like i i somewhat understand why people are like hey potatoes don't belong in biryanis because if the potato doesn't have flavor then it's just piece of starch you know yes. in, in your dish Yes. But the way we cook it, the potato competes with the meat in terms of its flavor and the value it adds to the dish. Yeah. So yeah, and and the second thing that's important is we have two types of biryani. Okay, at least I like to think we have what we call a white biryani and we have a red biryani. Like to make okay. it very simple, the white biryani is this golden rice biryani. It's a more traditional biryani served in bori thal. It's very mild and uh, yeah, and all the flavor comes out in the potato and the meat, and uh, it's served with a dahi ka sambar or a raita. And then the red biryani, which my mom specializes in. Is, is is your slightly more flavorful biryani again you get it in chicken or you get it in mutton and my mom likes to serve it with pineapple bundi rice okay and this is the so slightly spicier one i would imagine red i i, I would say nothing spicier in in bori okay. food like there's no spicy food in our okay. entire repertoire but uh, it's more flavorful so okay. so when i got into delivery it's a lesson i learned that my mother's very traditional white thai biryani would, would like get bad reviews so the same biryani yeah. we eat at home if you send it to someone at, at their house it completely changes because it, like when yes. you order for something and that's the only thing you're eating you needed to have a lot of flavor yes. so the red biryani always works more than the white biryani but if you ever want to experience the really traditional biryani always ask for the white biryani okay that's a good tip and you know it's funny you bring that up and it's also been my experience because especially when you use a dish like biryani which is so universal in its you know popular clarity and people tend to immediately associate that with it being more masala esque or more robust so i think it comes with preconceived notions that oh i've ordered a biryani so if you're going to give me a white looking one or one that is not bland but for lack of a better word bland in comparison to you know commercialized uh, things i understand where you know the that whole uproar came from and that's really sad because it's a great dish and it's tasty but you've just sort of fixated on something so you're not open to no. this so the biggest difference in a bori dam style biryani and any other biryani 
and then even other so called umbrians like i remember cracking a really lame joke when we were in our element something on the lines of it is so dumb that we failed you know every grain of rice a spat would flavor so that entire feeling you know sometimes when you just see like you get plain white rice and you get masala and they call that biryani that's a tawa style biryani yeah. that your masala has been cooked separately the rice has just been you know whatever this every grain of rice has flavor it just has varying levels of flavor so even in the white biryani the masala rice is golden in color mm-hmm. it's, it's a dark brown golden it's spat with flavor and the plain white rice is also just the aroma will literally emanate from each and every grain of rice and and then you got your potato and meat in it i think it's safe to say that we don't really have a veg biryani but we mm-hmm. made a variant like my mother makes a veg biryani for the family members who are vegetarian or whatever and we ended up trying to sell that and and that turned out to be a huge success just like assorted vegetables but made in the same dum style with the same masala correct and midday had done the blind tasting thing and uh, our veg biryani was the best veg biryani in bombay according to them which wow. which i found hilarious so you're telling me uh, that yeah. your a dish that your mom created which isn't actually even in the cuisine so to speak ended up being the best veg biryani yeah, in yeah, the city yeah. that's it, fabulous it, it, it tells you a lot about flavors that's exactly how it should be you know it um, and i was having this conversation actually with someone just today at lunch that it doesn't matter if it's vegetarian or it's got meat or it's whatever as long as it's a dish that is packed with flavor that you eat it and you say oh my god this tastes amazing that's pretty much it it doesn't matter and everything else doesn't matter but i love that how huh? best biryani and best veg biryani in bombay i'm very impressed <laughs> Okay so this is a question I love asking everyone if you could pick one dish that you think best champions the cuisine and there's no right or wrong answer it's really your perception of it what is that one dish that you think really embodies and embraces bori cuisine my favorite dish okay, that, mm-hmm. that's what i'll tell you so so my favorite bori dish or my favorite dish at home is a dish called kaju chicken okay. uh, it's basically i i like to think of it as a bori butter chicken even though it's nothing like butter it's a chicken in a thick cashew nut gravy you know served with whole wheat paratha and with boiled egg slices egg white slices and garnished with coriander is it, it. A, is it a white gravy yeah it's a white white kaju chicken it has rich and creamy and white as it gets i just love it and and like i have this amazing memory of it when when i was at google uh, i think it was my one of my last days at google i i taken this entire tupperware 1 2 kilo dabba of kaju chicken and then i, I left it in the pantry and i told everyone that hey we'll all eat together and for some reason one of my meetings ran over and when i went to the pantry it was over and <laughs> there were like seven to 10 googlers just surrounding it in the most disgusting image ever and one of them had his hand inside the dabba and they were oh eating my it. God. Like, it was it was hilarious but that's but yeah. again that's the compliment that you you really are looking for right like this sort of unabashed i don't care if i look like a glutton it's so tasty i just want to dip my head into the box and eat it exactly. i like that so kaju chicken is your uh, number one dish so for people who are you know interested to learn more about bori food or um, you know want to learn more how to cook maybe are there any cookbooks or any resources that you think would be helpful So I actually haven't been able to find any good books because at one point in time I was looking mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of get inspiration on how do you standardize recipes. I couldn't find anything. I am thinking about doing a recipe book by the Bori Kitchen. Oh, that so, would be nice. Yeah, so, so we're thinking about it. It'll, it'll happen whenever we have bandwidth. But that that'll basically be a book with my mom's face on the cover. Yeah, uh, it'll be her project. Yeah, it'll be yeah, her project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be hers and my wife because Abhi is also very passionate about food. There, see, there are there definitely are books. 
okay because i've heard of people even kurush i think at one point in time i told me that that some lady had you know written something it could be muslim recipes or it could mm-hmm. be khoja muslim recipes or it could be bori recipes i'm not sure about that but when i look for very authentic dowdy bora recipes i couldn't so it's usually hidden in people's homes right like it's uh, stuff that a grandmom has passed down and uh, sort of generational it's all hidden in old family recipe I, books i mean yeah like i'm, I'm sorry i'm going to i'm going to take this outside not just restricted to bori but just in, in terms of regional cuisine in india like one of the things i'm very passionate about and the bori kitchen unlocks this passion and, and this is something i want to pursue uh, irrespective of tbk is the hidden power of regional cuisines in our country which yeah. have been passed on which haven't been standardized which haven't been necessarily commercialized or documented even but Absolutely. have been passed on very much so from the grandmothers to the mothers you know and and this indian housewife has turned into this custodian phenomenal traditional recipes and yeah. because india is india and we have a thousand communities and sub communities and religions and cultures you have thousands such you know cuisines absolutely waiting to be tapped in each house that's something that's just constantly playing on my mind it's something i want to try to figure out how do you unlock that no it's fascinating it's also one of the reasons why we're even doing this podcast and we're calling it beyond butter chicken for just this reason that you know people have this uh, preconceived notion that indian food is just sort of butter chicken and the north indian you know few uh, handful of dishes and the more we talk to people like you and other guests on the show the more we realize there is just so much hidden pot- potential at home you know i mean i'm hoping someone listens to the podcast and looks back and says what did my grandmom you know give my mom or my dad or what's the dish i grew up eating and and it'll blow your mind at just how different it is so i really Absolutely. hope that maybe one day you and mom can do this for bori food and sort of put it down in a book or uh, you know i don't know maybe it could be video or any kind of form that you documented because i think going forward even someone like me i'm not bori but i want to cook a dish you know i want to learn more i want to understand it more so that would be a fantastic resource of course if you're in mumbai then you got to eat at the bori kitchen and uh, you have multiple outlets like you said where you can order from so it's uh, accessible across the city but what if i'm not in mumbai say i'm in any other place where where can i find bori food or is it just mumbai centric so the bori kitchen is in bombay only unfortunately i i do believe kadar who runs my kitchen has managed to find a logistic partner who actually freezes the food and sends it to other parts of the country oh fab uh, because we get a lot of interest from outside bombay so so we do something like that i i think the venture is called just my roots you know and you can order through them okay but otherwise what i would recommend is make bori friends we are all over the place and i assure you that with ever bori auntie is in that house you know should be thrilled yeah dying to feed yeah. you just thrilled to have you over like please yeah, come yeah yeah it's another sort of extension of the bori kitchen now to evaluate which is uh, what if we kind of you know adopt or we incubate 10 other tbks in 10 other cities yeah where some bori family has a home and they're willing to entertain people and then they make damn good food and and they want to make some sort of income and it will be good for them why not we are very happy to kind of handhold them and and do encourage it them. and license the brand to them and just like encourage them yeah i think that's great because you know it is your community food and this is really the way forward like you've done what you could in one city and you've already given it a new lease of life and this would be a fantastic way to take it pan india or uh, even global who knows i have full faith in you 
I think you would be well in your commitment to do this. You'd be perfect at that. Um, so honestly, this was a great chat and you've mentioned so many different ideas and things. So my last question is really, what is next in store for brand Bori Kitchen and for you? So for the Bori Kitchen, the goal right now is to just try to find a way to make it sort of survive a pandemic. So what do I mean by that? I mean that this is no longer a brand that I think should be dependent on funding or dependent on my personal sort of ambition yeah uh, and my financial needs and so on and so forth it could be something that is, is like a legacy brand that survives you know absolutely uh, and it thrives on its own so trying to figure that out you know how do you build something like that how do you make it profitable and how do you peacefully when the time is right take it wherever it can go so that's the bori kitchen's next step with regards to me i'm i'm figuring my life out i'm figuring my professional sort of future out uh, right now what i'm doing i love okay yeah. i had the delivery business at mcdonald's it's, it's huge and and i'm i'm actually doing very well at it so everything that i've learned at the bori kitchen which i couldn't operationalize because of our challenges i can now suddenly execute so it's almost McDonald's. like you're getting to do everything that you wanted to do with your home brand but at the same time you're it's it's learning and you're like making notes for bori kitchen like this is how i'm going to take over the world one bora biryani at a time i like that i really like that but yeah so that's been awesome and now i'm trying to figure that out so now like whether it's within mcdonald's or you know something else what allows me to just continue to just learn more mm-hmm. and uh, continue to grow both personally and professionally is, is what i'm excited about that's fantastic well i wish you the best of luck i have full faith in you i think you're going to do everything that uh, you eventually put on your bucket list and you'll tick it off one at a time this was really lovely thank you so much for doing this and introducing us to the world of bori food and of course to the world of bori kitchen thanks so much for Thank doing so much. this if you enjoyed this podcast you can tune in every week for a brand new episode where i talk to another expert and delve into a different aspect of indian cuisine you can listen to more episodes of the beyond butter chicken podcast on spotify apple music or any of your favorite podcast platforms and make sure to follow us at mammoth media publishing and the tiny taster for more updates until next time